Amen. Good to worship with you this morning. You may be seated. Before we dive into today's message, I want to say welcome. If it is your first time, we are so glad that you are here, that you are a part of this. You'll notice that we have a lot of kiddos in the service this morning. And today is the last day of our full family worship summer. And so, kiddos, I want you to know from your pastor and on behalf of this church that we have loved worshiping with you all summer long. You guys have done an awesome job. It's been good to do church with you, to worship Jesus, to lift his name high, to hear your little voices sing in Brooklyn, to answer all the questions you have when we come home. It's been cool to see all the different hairstyles that your kids have drawn onto my mostly bald head all summer long. That has been a blessing as well. I wish some of those could come true, but they won't, and that's all right too. So, kiddos, on behalf of your church family, we love you. Thank you for doing such an awesome job in worship with us this summer. Church family, let's give them some love this morning. Now, I know it will be sad, but next Sunday we are having kids ministry kickoff. And so all the kiddos are going to be back in our kids ministry. They're going to be learning about Jesus, having fun in a safe environment. And so that is going to be awesome as well. I can't wait for that. Amanda and the team, y'all are doing an awesome job. It is going to be good. And today, we are in our last sermon in our Sermon on the Mount series. This will be the last for this summer, starting next week. Uh-oh, looks like we're flooding out there. <laughs> Been raining all morning. We'll just take a second, that's all right, just go ahead. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So, this will be the last sermon in Summer on the Mount. This summer, we will pick it back up next summer. But starting next week, we will be going into a sermon series called Who is Jesus? Diving in for the next seven week, weeks into all the I Am statements of Jesus. But today, we wrap things up with Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And leading up to this point, the crowd has gathered around Jesus. There are his disciples, the people that follow him, and then there are the crowds, the people that are trying to figure out who this Jesus guy really is. We've heard he can do miracles. And so Jesus sits, his disciples stand, and Jesus begins to preach with the greatest sermon ever preached on this planet. And when he does so, he reframes the old law and he reinterprets it to what it was really supposed to mean, its true sense for his disciples. And as he addresses his disciples, he says, my disciples live like this. And so today we are going to get incredibly practical. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. And Jesus is unfolding for his disciples what kingdom life looks like in the real world. And so I know a lot of times we go to church and we hear these Bible stories and we hear these illustrations and we take away some application. And a lot of times it can seem like this great, spiritual, lofty, abstract idea. But today, Jesus gets into the nitty-gritty of it. Today, we get practical. We look at the necessary things that we need to do as followers of Jesus. And so today, we have 16 points that we're going to cover. I just felt like I needed to follow Peter up strong. I'm kidding. There's only six. You can subtract ten. We're going to be moving through this, and we're going to be diving into what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus practically. And Jesus starts off with practicing righteousness before other people. Chapter 6, verse 1. Go ahead, turn there in your Bibles. Scroll there. 
Select that verse. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. This is today's big idea. This is the all-encompassing idea that Jesus is trying to get across to his disciples. And as his followers today, he is getting across to us that we practice righteousness for God not for anyone else. And we do so out of our love and our obedience to God. Now, when we love God, when we practice our righteousness for him, this benefits his creation. It benefits the people that he has created, but it is not for them. It is our worship to God. We aren't righteous for his creation. We do not do the things that God has called us to do We do not love other people. We do not serve other people strictly for them, but we practice righteousness for an audience of the Father. That is our first point today. Our righteousness is for an audience of one. Everything that Jesus follows up with after this is for an audience of one. Jesus is saying, don't be like the Pharisees that take advantage of the time of day and the sounding of the bell and the trumpets around the synagogue. For when they do righteous things for other people, they do not do it for their father, but they do it for the praise of other men. You know what Jesus calls those people? He calls them hypocrites. Do you know what a hypocrite is? A hypocrite is a spiritual actor, somebody that is playing a part. And so this morning, as we dive into Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18, let us not be hypocrites. Now, we will always be hypocrites and that we will be sinful, and we will be striving to be like Jesus. But do not let us practice our righteousness for other people in their praise. Let us do it for an audience of one, and that is God and God alone. So Jesus sets this all up. You do this, you do this for the Father, not for other people. And in Jesus saying that, he says, now, now that you are doing that, now that we have reframed this, these next few things, these next illustrations that I'm about to lay out to you, You need to watch yourself in doing these things. And he starts with giving to the needy. Verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Verse 2 starts off with a very important phrase, and we're going to hear this over and over and over again this morning. And that important phrase is, when you. When you give to the needy. What does Jesus not say? Jesus doesn't say, if you give to the needy. And so, when you give to the needy, not if you give to the needy, this is an expectation set by Jesus for his followers, for his disciples from the very beginning. This is the basics of Christianity 101. You will take care of people that are in need. So when we give to the needy, how do we do so? I think a lot of us just think that it's a cash handout here, or if this person needs a meal here, maybe we can run into McDonald's or wherever else and buy that for them. And usually it would be financial. Certainly in this time period, Jesus referring to the Pharisees, taking care of the needs of the needy people for the audience of the people around them, trying to seem super holy, super spiritual, that would have been a financial thing. But in our freedom in Jesus and being created in the image of a creator, we are creative people. So let's get creative with how we take care of the needs of the needy. 
Let's take care of the homeless. And that might be some extra money that you have in your wallet. I don't know if anybody carries cash on them anymore. I know coins don't exist. Apparently there's a coin shortage, but we're trying to work through that. And there's not really homeless people walking around with square apps that you can just slide your credit card and help them out. But we can get creative. There are kids, there are children living in poverty here in our nation and around the world that we can sponsor. And I have a lot of friends that do that. We can serve at St. Mary's Food Pantry. We can pack high preservative meals for people that need it, that are living in the streets. We can serve in a soup kitchen. And you know what? We can do all of these things. But we have to do something. It's not if we serve the needy. It's not if we take care of their needs. It is when. And so as a church, I would say this. Let's not make excuses. Let's not let anything get in the way of the needs that need to be met by the believers that call this church home. We can make a lot of excuses. We can look at the guy standing on the corner of the street and say, well, if I give him money, he's just going to go spend it on booze, or he's just going to go buy more drugs. And that may be the case. But you are not called, and you are not held to a standard of his obedience to what he does with those resources. God has given you those resources. And so as God has given you those resources, be a good steward of those resources and realize that God is so much bigger than just taking part in your life. And as God has called you to be obedient and to give, and we are obedient in giving, God is also a part of that person's life. And God will hold them accountable for how they use that money, how they use those resources. So give them a chance. Give God a chance in their life. And then don't make a big deal about it. This is not a show. This is not for other people. As you are pulling off 303 and hopefully not getting rear-ended, and as you pull up to 60 and you notice whatever homeless person is standing there on the left corner, just depends on the day of the week, do not flash your lights at them. Do not honk your horn. Do not roll your window down. Hey, do you need money? I got dollar bills, yo. Come get them right here. Hey, get out of your vehicle. Turn around. I got a lot of money right here, about to give it to this homeless guy over on the corner. You know who's got it together? Me. God bless. (laughs) Hopefully the light doesn't turn green, because then none of those people come to church ever. Again, that's why we don't do bumper stickers, but it's not about their, it's not about that audience. It's not about their praise. It's not about their applause. It is about you giving in private. It is about you being discreet. It is about you taking care of that need. We give to please the Father. We do not give to please other people. And so, second point today, our giving is for an audience of one. Our giving is for an audience of one. Jesus goes from giving, taking care of the needy, right into the Lord's Prayer. And this is incredible stuff. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, that that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So, verse 5. 
We pray for God's ear. We do not pray for the ears of other people. We pray because we need God to answer what we are praying about. We need God to move in our lives. We do not want the audience of other men, for other men to move in our lives because they cannot, but only God can. And then in verse 5, prayer isn't a drawn-out and elegant speech. I know that you have a family member. Maybe you don't. Maybe this is just my family. You know what? It's not my family because this is going on the internet. My family's awesome. (laughs) I love them. They're all perfect. At Christmas, at Thanksgiving, maybe you have a family member who offers to say the blessing, who likes to bless the food, and when they bless the food, it goes from a short, maybe 15, 30-second prayer needed, more into like a 15, 20-minute sermon, and you're hearing them say words out of the dictionary that you've never heard a person actually say in a sentence before. They start praying for things, and the whole time you're thinking, all right, so this food just went from hot to now lukewarm, from lukewarm to now cold to it was Thanksgiving, now it's Easter, (laughs) Christmas, whatever. It completely changes everything. You think, man, I've never heard that person pray before. I didn't even know they went to church. When we pray like that, we are praying for the ears of man. We are praying for the applaud of man. And here's what I want you to know this morning, is that prayer is from the heart. Prayer is from a private place in your heart. Prayer is an open line. It is a conversation between you and God. It is not for an audience to see. It is not for an audience to hear. It is intimate, it is vulnerable, and it is personal. It is an open line of communication. And it is not about the right combinations of words, right? This is real, this is raw, this is messy. Some of my favorite prayers that I've ever heard in my life have been out of the mouths of middle schoolers. Because when a middle schooler starts praying, they take off with passion. It's like a truck with three gallons of gas in it, and you're getting to the top of the hill, and hopefully you have enough gas to make it back down. Middle schoolers start praying. They start praying over everything. So if you're sinning in your house, your middle schooler is going to pray about that in front of everyone else, just so you know. They start praying, and then eventually they run out of things to pray, and it hits them. Oh, no. I was up here. Now i got to land this plane. And a lot of times the plane doesn't land real smooth on the runway. That plane goes up and it comes straight back down. A lot of those prayers end with, well, um, yeah. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. And, And you know what? That is a real prayer. That is a raw prayer. God hears that because it's not about everyone else around them hearing it. It is about communicating God Here is what I need. Here's where I need you to move. I need you to move in my life, and I'm so passionate about it. And, uh, yeah. All right, that's it, God. Peace out. Amen. That was good. It is not about the right combinations of words. It is not how eloquent you sound. But it is also not a cop-out for public prayer. This is not saying that the only prayer you will ever take part in is in the privacy of your room. As a church, we will still pray congregationally. We will still lift each other up. Yesterday, a group of us met out here in the parking lot. We prayed for VBS. We prayed for your kids. We prayed for the 20 families we have in our community that are coming to VBS that we have no contact with prior to VBS. We prayed for Principal Dean at Asante Preparatory Academy. We prayed for the teachers, for the staff of this school in the new school year that we have coming up. We do that publicly. We do that together because we know when we come together in Jesus' name that God moves. And so we still 
pray publicly. It is not a cop-out. But when we pray, we pray from a private heart. Third point this morning, our prayer is to an audience of one. Our prayer is to an audience of one. Now some of you may be wondering, okay, if it's not about how eloquent my prayer is, if it's not about how polished my speech is when I pray, then how do I pray? I think Jesus probably saw that question coming, and so he answers it. Verse 9, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Address it. God, this is to you. Worship him. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Frame it. Realize that it is not about you. It is about God. It is not about what I want, but it is about what God wants. Give us this day our daily bread. God, give me just what I need. Not the selfish, foolish desires of my heart. But God, give me just what I need this day to fulfill your will, to accomplish a life that presses further and deeper into Jesus. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us of our sins, God, while we also forgive those who have sinned against us. And God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Believer, temptation is coming your way. We have an enemy that seeks to steal, to kill, and destroy everything that is good, everything that is godly, everything that is righteous in our lives. And we have no way out. We have no way to deal with that outside of the cross and Jesus' victory over sin, death, and the enemy. So, God, deliver me from the temptation that is coming my way. And God, here is what I am dealing with. Here is where I need you to move in my life. Fourth point this morning. We pray wholeheartedly. We pray wholeheartedly. I started going, doing some old man workouts, because running is sinful, really. And uh, so I've been doing long power walks around the neighborhood. I've seen, uh, seen a couple of you out there. It's been cool. Um, these walks are anywhere between one mile and five miles. And if it's a five-mile day, I know I'm probably not going to do anything the next two days. <laughs> so I go, I walk around our community, and I don't like to do just one thing at a time. I like to feel like super productive, right? Like I'm getting a leg up on the whole universe. <laughs> so I go on these walks, and as I'm walking, I'm like, you know what? I need to spend more time in prayer. My prayer life is not where it needs to be spiritually compared to other places in my life. And so I started to pair the two. Another thing I found is not only am I praying, but I'm also extremely ADD. And so as I'm walking throughout our community, I start to pray, God, thank you so much for today. This is a beautiful sunrise. And then there's a little jackrabbit in the bush in front of me, and he kind of shakes the bush. And I immediately think, that's a rattlesnake. I'm going to die. And so sidestep, keep walking down the road. Well, now I'm not thinking about what I was praying about. I'm just thinking about, man, I'm so thankful to live, but I'm not really thinking about like how I should pray to God about that, thanking him that I'm still alive. I just think I need to get away from this place. And then I walk a little further. I'm like, there's a lot of trash around this Dollar General. And there are so many thoughts that go through my head that are not focused on prayer. And so when we pray, pray wholeheartedly. I've had to start treating these prayer walks like I'm going through Walmart. And when I go through Walmart, my wife knows that I need a list. If I don't have a list, I'm going to get a whole bunch of stuff that I don't need, and I'm going to get a, not going to get a whole bunch of stuff that I actually needed, and probably a couple energy drinks on the way out the door. So I have to treat my prayer walks like I'm going shopping at Walmart. I have to go with the list. And so I go with the list. 
I've put it on my phone. It's in my notes. And that list is comprised of things that my family needs, things that I'm grateful, that I'm thankful to God for, and the things that are going on in this church. So when you put a prayer request in that's on your Connect card, and you turn that in on your way out, that is prayed for. When you email us prayer requests, we pray for that. As a staff, I pray for that in the morning. And without that list, I do not pray wholeheartedly. I pray completely distracted. Now, that's not saying that the quick throw-up prayers throughout the day are not okay. Those are absolutely okay. Those are absolutely needed in our lives. The quick, Jesus, I need you now. Jesus, take the will prayers. Those are absolutely okay. But if there's not a time in the day where you're setting aside to talk to Jesus wholeheartedly, full circle, approaching him, having a conversation with him, then there's something that is missing in your walk with him. So when we pray, we pray wholeheartedly. And Jesus continues on forgiveness, which he touches in the Lord's Prayer. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now that's kind of hard to hear. What is Jesus saying here? Quite simply, Jesus is saying that forgiveness is the key to forgiveness. You have been forgiven. When you put your trust in Jesus, when you accept him for the forgiveness of your sins, to be your Lord, to be your Savior, the work that he did on the cross takes your sin. It puts it on him, and he gives you his righteousness. You have been forgiven. So because you have been forgiven, it's time to forgive others. And for a lot of you in here, there's no way that I could ever have any idea of the hurt, of the pain that you have been through in your life. There's absolutely no way. It hurts. It's not fair. How dare that person do to you what they did to you? If you are having trouble forgiving someone else, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of every single thing in your life that Jesus took onto the cross, that he died for, so that you could be forgiven of. I want you to think about everything that you have yet to do, that Jesus knew that you would do and still took the cross and still died for you. And when Jesus died on the cross for your sin, he was the perfect sacrifice, and he said, that is my child, and I let them go. Of the consequence, of the pain, of the punishment, I let them go. Think about what Jesus did for you, and now think about what that person has done to you. I want you to know that you have been let go, and it is okay for you to let that person go. We have been forgiven. Let us forgive others and let us continue to receive the forgiveness that is from the Lord. Don't let that person have any say in your life, emotionally, physically, spiritually, anymore. Let them go. Release them. You have been released. Release them as well. So, we forgive from a forgiven heart. Fifth point. And here we are. Point six. Very end. Jesus goes into something that it's very basic to the Christian life, but something that I think a lot of us lose sight of. And Jesus goes into fasting. He says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. But truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret, will reward you. So we have to answer the question, what is fasting? It is not a speed in which we travel. 
It is going without something physically so that we can see God move spiritually. You can fast from a lot of different things, but biblically speaking, they fasted from food. This was a spiritual practice. Going without food, a basic human need, something I need to live, something that you need to live in order to see God intercede. Now, this is not a diet, all right? I know intermittent fasting is all the craze right now. Keto diet, all that fun stuff. I'm clearly not on it anymore, but it's not a diet. It's a basic spiritual discipline. It is not for the elite in the church. It is not for the pastors of the church. It's not for the elders of the church or for the deacons or for the clergy of the church. This is for the disciples. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he doesn't say, if you fast. Jesus says, when you fast. And so we see, again, this is an expectation on us as believers that at some point in our life, in our walk with Jesus, that we would Go without food. Because something is taking place in our life that is so dire, that is so urgent, that we need to pair prayer with fasting so that we can see God move. So what are the reasons that we fast? We fast to draw near to God. We do not fast to manipulate God. We fast for penitence, a realization, a grief over the past sin in our life, and a thankfulness to God for paying that debt by Jesus on the cross, and we fast for prayer because we need God to move in our lives. We see fasting all throughout the Bible. We see in the Old Testament, in the book of Jonah and Nineveh, that people fasted for their sin. They put on sackcloth, they fasted, they repented. We see that Jesus fasts 40 days and 40 nights before he ever goes out for his public ministry. He prepared through fasting. And we see that the early church fasted when they sent out missionaries, when they, when they appointed elders. So church family, when it comes to fasting, something that seems so foreign, so alien to us, let us not make excuses. I made excuses for 10, 15, 20 years in my life with Jesus before I ever started fasting, and my excuses sounded like this. Well, I'm hypoglycemic, and so if I get low on blood sugar, I might pass out. Okay, well, if I was serious about my fasting, then I could organize my day or fast on a day that wasn't going to be as extraneous physically. Well, I'm just really busy. I've got to really exert myself today, so I need all the food in my body. Again, that can be worked around. We can schedule this out. We are smart people. And so instead of using our brains to justify why we should not be fasting, let us use our brains to justify how we are going to fast. We are going to get after it. Everything in fa about fasting in my life changed when I had an intern when I was a family pastor at our church, Oakview Baptist Church in Irving, Texas. His name was Josh Smith, and uh, Josh was helping out with student ministry and children's, and we had just gotten out of staff meeting. It was one that he was allowed to sit in, and so I said, Josh, I'm hungry. We just did a lot of planning. We just talked about a lot of things for the church. Um, no better way to celebrate all of that instead of not doing the work we just talked about, but let's go eat. And so I said, all right, man we're going to go eat. You're picking the place. Where are we going? And Josh said, hey, man, I'm good. I'm, I'm just, I'm not real hungry right now. Uh, I'm good. You go ahead. And so me, being a bully and being bigger than Josh, <laughs> I said, hey, we're going to go eat lunch. And if you're not going to pick where we're going, I'm going to pick where we're going. Or I'm going to pick you up, and I'm going to throw you in my truck. <laughs> and Josh said, no, I'm good, man. I'm just not going to eat today. Seriously, you go ahead, and you eat. I'm going to be all right. And I said, no, man, look, stop being a little baby. <laughs> 
That's what you want to say to the guy that's fasting, right? And then Josh shattered everything. No, dude, look, I'm actually fasting today. I've got some things that are going on in my life, and then the guys that I'm discipling in our dorm room, and I'm, I'm actually not going to eat lunch today. I haven't eaten breakfast either. I'm not going to eat dinner because I need to see God move in these guys' life. And so my response was, oh, yeah, of course, man, that's fine, whatever. I fast all the time. You, hey, so glad that you figured that out. I'm going to go eat, though. So, all right, man, sorry for being a jerk to you. But in the moment, in the flesh, I thought, you know what? If my intern is fasting, why haven't I fasted before? Where is he at with Jesus? I'm supposed to be leading him, and here he is, in turn, leading me. And so out of a competitive heart, I didn't go to lunch that day. I fasted that day. And then later on, I would fast again. And you know what? The heavens didn't open up. Crazy, magical things didn't happen. But in that moment, when I deprived myself of a meal, and I spent that time in prayer, I got closer to Jesus. And I got to hone in on where I wanted to see God move in my life, where I needed God to intercede. And you know what? God interceded. And sometimes he doesn't because we don't quite understand 100% of his will. We just know it will be better in the end if it goes his way, not our way. So when you fast, replace that time with prayer and don't make a big deal out of it. It is not about spiritual clout. So for my longtime believers that are here in the church this morning who have never fasted, I want you to ask yourself, is there nothing that has taken place in your life and in your walk with Jesus where you so desperately needed to see God move in your life that you cannot give a single meal up for it? Maybe two meals, maybe three. Maybe there's a friend that's in need. Maybe there's a family that's in need. Maybe your spiritual life, maybe your marriage is hanging on by a thread. I think that is worth giving up a meal for. I think that is giving up a few meals for. If you pair that with prayer and you go to God and you say, God, I am giving up this right of mine, and I'm laying that down at your feet, and I'm submitting this to you, but not only am I submitting this to you, but I am pairing that with the problems that I have in X, Y, Z. And God, I need you to move in my life. I think it's worth it. I think it's worth the calories. I think it's worth the meals. I know we think about food probably more than anything else, but replace that time with time in the word, with time, in prayer, with time, with Jesus. And to my believers in here that are just getting started on your walks, on the road with Jesus, I want you to know that there is absolutely going to be things that you come up against that are worth sitting out a meal, sitting out a day's worth of meals, maybe a couple of days worth of meals, for you to hone in and focus in on what God is doing in your life and where you need him to move and you to give it to him. So final point this morning is our fasting is for an audience of one. When we fast, we don't get on Facebook, we don't get on Twitter, we don't get on Instagram or the TikToks and blast it out there and say, hey, I am so hungry, but I'm praying for this person, so all right, that's awesome. No, we keep it a secret. We do it in secret. And if your friend threatens to throw you in his truck and buy you lunch and just is a jerk to you, you know what? Ignore him and then make him apologize to you years later. <laughs> As a church, we're going to have chances to fast. This week, we will have chances to fast. This week, we will be sending James and Grace Wabenga to Honduras for a medical mission. 
So we want to pair our prayer with fasting because they are going to be taking the gospel with them. They are going to be meeting physical needs, and Jesus is going to be meeting spiritual needs. So join me. Let's skip a meal. Maybe let's skip a day's worth of meals. Maybe some of you crazy people in here, you're like, yeah, if I do anything, I'm going to do it 1,000%. Maybe just don't eat all week. No, I wouldn't wouldn't suggest that. Not right off the bat. But let's join alongside James. Let's join alongside Grace as they go on mission by fasting and praying alongside them. Maybe it's sin in your life. Maybe you have sin that you need to hand over to the Lord. You need to see him move in your life. You need to realize that you have been set free from the chains of bondage in your life. Take some time. Skip a meal. Spend some time with Jesus. Pray about it. This year, we have some things that are going to be really big in the life of our church that we feel like God is moving us towards. It's never our goal to stay in this cafeteria. It's never our goal. It was never our goal to be here for the rest of the life of this church. If we want to be established in this community, we want to be a staple of this community. We want to be a beacon of light, of hope, of truth, of the gospel of Jesus. Then we want to get established. And so that looks a couple different ways. First way is, join us in praying, join us in fasting as we try to establish a student ministry, as we look for a student pastor to come and to help lead our teenagers. Join us as we fast, join us as we pray, as we establish elders, leaders of this church, men that will step up alongside me, alongside Jacob, to help lead this thing spiritually. Join us in prayer and fasting as we look for land, as we look for land to put a building on eventually. We know that God has called us to Asante, to Desert Oasis, to be a big part of the gospel presence of hope and light and love and truth in this community. And part of that is being established within this community. That doesn't happen. That should not happen without prayer. And that prayer should be partnered and paired by, with fasting. So, as we close out, as disciples, we give, we pray, we forgive, and we fast. It's the when we, it's not the if we. These are expectations on us. Do not play the spiritual hypocrite. Do not play the spiritual actor that does things for other people's applauses, but be the disciple. Be the follower of Jesus. Let us press deeper into the when we's, not the if we's, in our walks with Jesus. And let us push the boundaries. Let us break the borders of good Christian living that our culture, that our world has described for us to live inside the box of. And let's be disciples. Let's follow Jesus. Let's give. Let's pray. Let's forgive. And let's fast. Join me. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we thank you for this word this morning that you spoke in your sermon on the mount. Jesus, be with us as we learn and as we grow in our giving to the needy. Be with us as we learn and as we grow in how we pray. And help us to do so wholeheartedly, Jesus. Be with us as we learn and as we grow in our forgiveness and learning and realizing and accepting that we have been forgiven of everything we've ever done and ever will do because of what you did for us on the cross. And Jesus, help us to live and walk in that forgiveness and to extend it to other people people that we have been harboring resentment and hate towards for years. Help us to let them go. And Jesus, be with us as we learn and as we grow in our fasting. And as we pair that with prayer, and God, as we 
ask you to intercede in our lives. We pray that you would move in powerful, mighty ways. And God, even if it's not the outcome that we thought we would want to see, God, let us be grateful that at the end of that fast, at the end of denying ourselves physically to see you move spiritually, God, that we are closer to you. Jesus, thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.